There's a ship coming. There's a ship coming. There's a ship coming. Let me hear you say it. Say it out loud. There's a ship coming. 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 We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And I, I can say right now that from the jump that uh, I know Terry is super excited to talk about this episode because of the main actor. And I we had not talked about this before recording. I know the moment he saw the cast list, he probably lost his mind and was like, I cannot wait to talk about uh, a certain movie for 40 minutes before we talk about the episode. Uh, mom's the word right now. <laughs> oh, so yeah, I hope everybody had a, had a good holiday weekend. I hope, uh, everybody got through the incredible war of horse Ford. I know we did barely, uh, there, but, uh, now we are, uh, onto this next one, which is season four, episode 16 on Thursday, we leave for home. Um, regardless of how I end up landing on this episode, I love some of the Sterling titles of episodes. I think this is a great title for an episode. It leaves you wondering what that means, and I love it. It's a great title. Um, anyway, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's uh, ambiguous. It's like it, it. You have no idea. Like some of the titles of past episodes kind of give away what the hell is going to happen in the end. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. like the parallel. Like, yeah, I don't know. But, but hey, who am I to judge? I mean, sometimes the the title is enough in, to intrigue people, and uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. what, what's this Jezebel all about? I don't know. Sounds sounds kind of southern to me. All right, so uh, yeah, uh, on Thursday we leave for home, season four, episode sixteen, air date May second, nineteen sixty three. Number one film, Bye Bye Birdie. Number one song, I will follow him by Little Peggy March. Um, Everybody knows the song. It was a big hit, and it's like, you know, it's a very, very familiar chorus. Um, so I, I found here's a little bit of information about the song. I didn't realize when they say Little Peggy March, they, they, they mean this. Um, on April 24th, 1963, her single I Will Follow Him soared to number one on the United States charts. She recorded the song in early January 63, and it was released on January 22nd when she was only 14. 
Um, so Peggy Marsh became the youngest female artist with the number one hit at 15 in late April 63, uh, a record that still stands with the Billboard 100. That is crazy. I didn't. I had no idea, and I, I'm very familiar with the song. They actually uh, do a weird version of it in Sister Act. Yeah, that's <laughs> like I, on, on, I was watching the YouTube video of uh, it was like of Peggy March performing the song like on a variety show, and someone put like a remastered cut of the the song over top of it, so it didn't have that crinkly, like you know, recorded off a of VHS like TV show quality to it. And someone wrote in the comments, "We're like, man, Whoopi Goldberg looked a lot different back then." So that's funny <laughs> that, uh, yeah. So yeah. Um, all right, yeah, so that I thought that was interesting because I was like, huh, why do they call her Little Peggy March? Because people were commenting on the lyrics about her, the, the lyrics being kind of stalkery, and it's like, oh, that's just that 14 year old girl who really likes that guy. It's like, I was like, wait, what? And I had to go and read about the, the, the whole thing. I kind of went down a rabbit hole. Um, so, yeah, uh, what actually happened on this date of March 2nd, 63, uh, in light of the shit that's been going on now uh, the last couple of days? And by shit, I mean the horrific things that we've been hearing about the situation in Minnesota with um, uh, the the cops, you know, it, wherever your political leanings are, the, the, the death of that, that guy, the cop put his, like his, his knee on his neck and he couldn't breathe. And it's there and it's, it's for, you know, we could have these political discussions, but a man died and that's screwed up. So... I didn't want to get into this, but here's the news story from this 50 years ago. Uh, hundreds of African-Americans, including children, were arrested during the Birmingham campaign as they set out from the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, to protest segregation. There were 959 people taken on the first day, and two days later, Public Safety Commissioner Eugene Bull Connor ordered the use of dogs and fire hoses to repel new demonstrators, images of which were then picked up by news media around the world. So this was like, there's other news, like a couple days later when I was looking up other stuff for the episode regarding this Birmingham situation and the shit that was going on there. And, you know, you'd like to think, you always want to believe that we're moving forward and placing ourselves in better positions because we know what history is and how stupid things are and how terrible people can be. And as much as the twilight zone is a mirror on us as a society, it, it just sucks that you, you know, you, you're still staring at it and it's getting uglier. Right. And it, it's sad that, um, something that is so relevant the that's going on right now is, <laughs> we can Im immediately go back to a time and place of this episode, likewise, um, and find something so similar. You know, it's like it, no one's learned their lesson. No. And I mean, if Sterling was still around now, like I mean, he'd be vaping. We know that number one, number two, you know, I think he would just be, I think he would be mad that like, you know, the things that he was writing about to try to be like, listen, like this is wrong. This is messed up. We can learn from this. You know, I, you know, I don't know. It's just, it sucks. And this isn't, this was not the direction I want to take the episode, but it's really hard not to, to speak to it. Like literally as like things are going on, there's riots happening Yeah, again um, because of the, of the same shit. So yeah, that's your day and date. Hooray podcast about Twilight Zone. Let's get excited for moon people. Moon, moon people. I'm, uh, I'm even more excited for moon people because I think that they, uh, probably had their shit together a little bit better. Maybe we'll find out. <laughs> I was calling the, the, the crew of the Pilgrim one moon people. I don't know, but, uh, cause I, <laughs> I don't know what they were doing up there. So let's just get, yeah, let's get into cast and crew. All right. So as far as our cast is considered, 
we have uh, director is Buzz Click. Uh, he did eight other episodes. We've talked about him previously, uh, especially since we did Jess Bell recently. Um, so I don't know how far we have to deep dive into that, but he also did a quality of life, which uh, was a very good episode as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this was his ninth episode. Like this is it. This is the last time we'll see Buzz Kulik as a director on the series. And he's an important director. He directed, um, the season two, episode one episode, season two, episode one titled the King nine will not return, which is actually a pretty good episode. The ending pisses me off, but I think it's more me, Matt at Sterling, not the directing, uh, he did a game of pool, which has Jack Klugman and Edgar, um, Ed, not Edgar Winter, um, <laughs> Edgar Winter, uh, you know, um, is it, oh shoot, Jonathan Winters, Edgar Winters, the, you know, the albino that sings in the band. Jonathan Winters was on uh, Mark and Wendy, uh, but that's a great episode. Uh, and so Kulik has done some great work. And then he did Jess Bell. I'm joking. That episode, the directing wasn't bad. Um, so this will be the last time we see him. And uh, there's some really cool shots in this, like for, uh, especially the last shot of the episode, they're actually really, really interesting. And there's a little bit of trivia about that. I think Buzz Cool that got the vibe that Sterling wanted, even though this is a Sterling script and he wasn't as hands-on with the production. I think Kulik knew what Sterling wanted or they were in the same wavelength. So this, he, he was a, a veteran of the show and this bums me out that we're not going to get any more Buzz Kulik directed episodes. Yeah, I believe that wholeheartedly because, uh, especially from Jezbel too, like I think that the formatting of shots and that um, really worked well. And I think he, he understood the storytelling enough, especially for um, season four and how it was the longer format. Uh, I, something more from him, especially in some of like some of these episodes, I think if we would have had him in there at the helm, could have worked better but here we are but um <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh, uh next we have our writer as the returning rod serling yeah whatever happened to that guy no um yeah yeah this uh this is one of his um you know like putting his uh i i when when serling gets like when he gets wound up and has um and also people just realized that was the sound of me opening a drink and then somewhere in space Terry was opening a drink. I don't know if you guys paid attention to that at all. This is why we were friends and this is why we podcast. Um, I could just tell the sound of a, a container opening across great distances. That's my superpower. Um, no, but you could tell when Sterling gets wound up and is trying to make a statement uh, as opposed to telling like an interesting sci-fi tale. Not that I'm saying there isn't like merit here, um, but he definitely puts, he, he puts his two minds into like, the the um the character of Benteen, which we'll talk about in a second, and then also into Colonel Sloan. You could tell that this is Sterling, like almost probably in some instances arguing with himself. Um, and that's the vibe that I got throughout this. There's a lot of there's also a lot of Sterling S dialogue in here too. And I wrote some of it down in the notes. There's just lines that I don't think humans would say, but Rod Sterling would say it. <laughs> I, one of the 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 finer things that I think that Serling is good at is that he, I mean, on top of just storytelling, is that he's able to um, combine the the sci-fi like ideology that like what we are probably used to when we watch uh, like Alien or you know Dune or something like that, and then really have a deep rooted message. Like, I think that there is a very clear message in this episode, which we will get to, but he has an ability 
to really drive home a message sometimes. And like sometimes it's a little hard fed, but I think that there is a clear message in this episode. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Serling's, if not anything, uh, direct in what he's trying to say. It's just, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of um, how, um, how leaden the the like you know how how uh weighted the boots are they is to stomp it onto you <laughs> like I, I guess i should phrase it that way where it's like oh you gotta say something how hard are you gonna hit it with this over our head over and over and over again i just mix i just mix metaphors there but that's what i do that's not what sterling does uh but yeah uh let i will uh, let, talk about the cast i know you're, you're excited to talk about our lead actor and i will uh, i'll shut up right now uh there's a good reason i should be excited to talk about this actor so james whitmore um, he plays Captain William Benteen. Make sure you put the captain in there. He gets upset if you don't put that in there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this was, was only a Twilight Zone appearance, um, but he was also in Them, which I love Them. It is a giant ant movie. We've talked about it previously. Um, he did 46 episodes of The Law and Mr. Jones. He was also in Planet of the Apes, Tora, Tora, Tora. The Relic, which is, what, uh, 15 years old now? Love that movie. But he was in Shawshank Redemption as yeah. Brooks. As Brooks. Uh, and it was funny because I was watching this, and I'm like, this guy looks familiar to me. And I'm like, oh, shit, it's Brooks. You know? um, and I know we've talked about a lot of this just because you know we're friends that uh, open drinks at the same time across many distances. But I, I it was you, the echo. It was the echo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I know the Shawshank Redemption is like your favorite film, like one of your favorite films of all time. So, uh, and I know Brooks and James Whitmore's character is, is, is an anchor to a lot of that. And it makes, and he makes it work in a lot of ways of being the older, um, prisoner that just, he has been there so long that to be out in the world would be to like, he doesn't know how to function. Like he would rather be inside, and whenever they say he gets his parole, it's like that's almost that's almost sentencing him to death, versus what the life that he built for himself behind the walls of the Shawshank. You know, if there's such a parallel that you can make between the two characters, that I'm I wonder if whoever casted him had seen this episode and really understood what they were striving for. And how he was able to deliver those lines in that. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's too coincidental to be like this at this point. Uh, I think that Brooks was a, an amazing character in the movie. And um, when I went to um, the Mansfield Reformatory, um, they have the scene set up there. It wasn't shot there, but they have the exact scene set up. And, uh, I made sure that I took a shot right where he put Brooks was here. Uh, it, it's a tremendous movie, and I love his character so much. And he gives he gives a lot of um, gravity to a lot of the characters in the movie. So, okay, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, which I am often. That's that's all. I, like everyone's like, "What do you got to do to podcast?" I'm like, "We'll buy equipment and then be wrong about everything you say." That's that's the two rules to podcasting. Um, <laughs> when I took a tour of the Mansfield uh, um, Reformatory, which we're talking about, where the, the, that's the prison where the Shawshank Redemption was actually shot at. It's um, about 45 minutes south of where uh, Terry and I are recording. 
uh, and it's in Mansfield, Ohio. If anybody is relatively close, go take that tour. It was like eight bucks for like a three hour tour uh, that I went on. And they're like, we'll go over prison stuff. And it's like every three feet. It's like, and this was in the movie, the Shawshank Redemption. I'm like, this is why I came here. Um, I know that there was the different little apartments and things for like some of the guards and like the warden had his own suite. I, I thought the Brooks apartment scene was actually shot in the prison, but the beam that he had carved his name in had been destroyed because a lot of the biz, the prison was kind of abandoned after the shooting of the film. So and I know they re, I know they recreated the beam because that was, I thought that was the same location that they shot that scene in. All right. Per, perhaps I, I uh, don't remember this sequence as clearly as uh, the, 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 tour guide was telling us but i could have swore that they said that the scene was actually shot in a different building in mansfield because there was a like especially the scene where he is uh bagging groceries that's actually filmed uh at another spot in mansfield yeah not yeah. There, yeah i know there's a lot of the exterior stuff but i know like some of the some of the interior things and using uh, like the different apartment suites or whatever you want to call them like they they doubled for some of the locations because it was already there um, the only thing that I, I, aside from the fact that you're walking through this place and the prison by itself is just, um, it's something to see because like you go through and see these five stories of like metal bars and it's like rusted and corroded because it, a lot of it's exposed to like, you know, the elements now and they can't restore all of it. And like the, the guards talk about how the prisoners with like the sunlight would come in and start heating up those bars and they'd complain about the heat. So they throw a rock through the windows to get like some airflow. And, the, and then the guards would be like, hey, good enough for summer, good enough for winter. And you just you hear that stuff and you're like, dear Lord, like these are the conditions these people like, you know, whatever they did and they're in prison. It just it just it just breaks you, you know, and then. Uh, that being in the physical place and then seeing this, the, the movie, which it's a fictional movie, but it's about a prison. Um, it's, it's something about it. Just, it just, it, I won't forget it, you know? And, and I'm glad that like, um, that James Whitmore caliber actor, you know, in this, and we're going to talk about it more, but just, I don't, I don't ever talk about like Mansfield and the Shawshank Redemption all that much because one we're close to it. So everybody's probably like, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> You know, but it's it's a hell of a thing. And also Air Force One, parts of it was shot there. So if you guys want to go see where um, Gary Oldman's character got out of Russian prison, go to go to that prison as well. That's where they, they shot part of that at. Yeah, it's a it's it's kind of a sad piece of our history and that especially being so close to it here in, you know, Cleveland, Ohio. And that uh, this is like our Alcatraz, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a class action lawsuit against the prison itself. Uh, by the prisoners, um, kind of like how Alcatraz was. They were being treated like garbage. Um, the conditions were not right, and that's why they built a brand new prison. Um, but this isn't prison cast, so oh. <laughs> eventually we have to move on. <laughs> yeah, no, the only thing, I, I just, I'm going to tell one more quick story, just because I, I love it. Uh, the, the scene in the Shawshank Redemption, whenever uh, the Kurgan, um, that actor's name, shoot, the, the <laughs> famous character actor. What's it? Uh, oh, shoot. Damn it. Clancy Brown, Clancy Brown, whenever he uh, breaks the glass in the door to get into Tim Robbins, because Tim Robbins is in the warden's office playing the song uh, that everybody can hear. And like you had Morgan Freeman be like, I don't know what she was saying, but it sounded wonderful. I think that I'm messing the quote up Uh, when they shot that sequence of him breaking the glass. 
um, like they told the crew, they told Darabont, it's like, do what you want. We're tearing this whole place down once the, you're done filming here. So that scene in the film with Clancy Brown breaking the glass was actually them breaking the glass in the door. So if you take the tour of the prison, I don't know if they've changed this over the years, but that door doesn't have glass in it. So it's like you walk by, you're like, the Kurgan punched that. It's just something about that that makes me very like not happy because it's like, this is a prison. It was bad, but it's like the Kurgan broke that glass and that's why it's not there anymore. That's that's my one hat. Like, like, oh my gosh, Clancy Brown punched that and I'm near it. That's a dumb association, but I was super happy to see it happen. I'm glad that the guy who was talking to him was in, in completely incorrect because I go to concerts there now. Uh, it's a grandiose time because you can go and watch a bunch of metal bands and then still go into the prison, take your tours. And there is a haunted house inside too. So it's really fun. Yeah. No, Glad so. he was fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. So everybody, James Whitmore was in a movie in which we talk about the prison more than Whitmore, but we, it's Brooks. Brooks is a, just a, a character that you can't separate from the film. And he, in a lot of ways is showing red and, um, Andy Dufresne, like what could happen. Right. And, yeah. Um, hell of a performance and he does good here too. I just think that I think that uh, we'll get there when we get there, but I think the last five minutes of this, I think the script fails him a little bit, but I think he gives a hell of a performance up to that point. Yeah, I agree. And so moving on, we have Tim O'Connor. Uh, he plays Colonel Sloan. This was his only appearance in Twilight Zone as well. He did 416 episodes of Peyton Place. We've talked about this show in the past, too. I think this was like, it had to have been the full run, but that's a hell of a run, too. 416. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like that was almost like a, well, that wasn't weekly, was it? Like, that's maybe, I don't know. I didn't do enough reading about that, but you're right. That show was on for a while. He, he just, he looked like, he looked like Rod Serling to me. So that's why I always got in my mind. It's like, this is Serling, like, that's a Serling stand in as this Colonel Sloan. Yeah, the eyebrows, man. They were so <laughs> yeah, and, and the constant smoking. That he didn't do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I also had him from the Naked Gun Two and a Half, The Smell of Fear, and then there's a film that it's been talked about on the show before. I have not seen it, but it's 1973's, and I'm guessing it involves snakes. Yes, I have this. Um, it's like one of those super low budget, uh, a snake like terror films. I, I need to like alligator and all those like dreaded monster movies. Jaws was kind of like the, the antithesis of like what needed to happen for the rest of film for a little while there. Um, uh, yeah. So otherwise I had him for as far as like sci-fi stuff is considered 21 episodes of Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Hmm. What if so. you wore the same outfit? Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sure of it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and still commanded the same uh, role, Cap uh, Colonel. <laughs> um, so moving on, we have James Broderick. Uh, he played Al. Only appearance in Twilight Zone again, uh, but he played in tw- uh, 86 episodes of Family. Not sure what that was, but that was like the only like real thing I saw from his catalog that needed to stand out to me. 86 episodes. So, so two things I'll mention is that, well, the, well okay, three things. I, I read a little bit about that show family, which I guess got a lot of attention at the time for actually being more realistic and portrayal of like family life. And he actually got a lot of accolades for that. 
Um, the, he was also he played a like a, a important role, maybe not a big role, but an important role in the Al Pacino film and 75's Dog Day Afternoon, which I need to watch. I feel like that's a a cinema sin that I've not watched that. That feels like a movie that should have been already watched. And also the father of Matthew Broderick. It is his father. Okay. Yeah. Man, I was like, is it? I, I wasn't sure if there was any kind of correlation between him and Matthew Broderick, but hey, that makes sense. Yeah. Huh. All right. So uh, next we have uh, playing uh, uh, Paul Langdon. Uh, he plays George. Uh, one other episode. Where is everybody? And that was what the the first episode of the entire series that was aired, right? Yeah, he was an uncredited doctor. Or I should say he's credited as a doctor at the very end of the episode. So nice connection to the very first episode of the Twilight Zone. And then I also noted probably because back then I wasn't paying attention to this. He was an episode of Hawaiian Eye. So congratulations, everybody! Drink for a show that you've never seen, but we keep talking about. Woot! Um, it, it it comes around again. So, uh, yeah, so for our listeners that are kind of catching on, there are two links that we always have to talk about. Hawaiian Eye and what's the other one, Paul? Johnny Midnight. I don't know why. It just Damn feels like uh, just, you keep looking and it's like it's just these two shows that I never heard of before, but they have great names. Like I know Hawaiian Eye is like a private detective show, but Johnny Midnight, just it just feels like it was a private detective that I guess yeah, his office is above like a theater in like New York. Like um like off Broadway, and so he would do, like solve crimes. But it's like that's a great goddamn name. Like I, I need to like I want to appropriate the name Johnny Midnight and do something else with it because it's a great name. I want to be like a, a, a shitty DJ that's like on an AM station in the middle of nowhere, like broadcasting it. It's like you're listening to Johnny Midnight. You know that's what I want to do. I think you're about like 15 years too late on that one, Paul. Yeah, dreams. <laughs> um. And so, uh, yeah, outside of that, we had The Incredible Shrinking Man as one of his credits as well. So I love this film. This is one of my all-time favorites. Did he have a small part? Did he have a small part in The Incredible Shrinking Man? A very small part. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't the Shrinking Man, but it was a small part. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So next we have uh, Jill Helton. she, this is a woman, so even though it's named, her name is Joe, you said uh, she plays Julie. <laughs> Joe. You're like, its name is Joe. It's a woman. I'm like, yeah, okay. Please. <laughs> Shut up. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyways. Uh, yeah. She plays, she plays Julie. Uh, one, one other episode, and that was The Shelter. Mm-hmm. She's still with us, by the way. I know that's, that feels like a dumb thing to say sometimes, but it's like, this this show's sixty years old, so she's still out and about, um, not working as much now. But I think she, if I remember right, I didn't do a, I didn't do a big dive, but she had like a big gap between acting. But that happens sometimes where people have a like they have a family, they do their thing, and they come back to it. But she's still she's still with us. Yeah, I didn't see any other credits that would be familiar for me yeah. at least. Um, but I'm a big, you know. Uh, if you if you if you dig any of the things that she was in, go find her. So um, next we have uh, Mercedes Shirley. Uh, she plays Joan. Again, only Twilight Zone appearance. Um, this is another one of those episodes that like there is quite a bit of cast that's on IMDb, but they only played bit roles in the episodes and they didn't really have mm-hmm. much credits. 
this is one of those characters. She yeah. didn't have anything much that I knew. 29 credits didn't recognize anything. Not that I'm not that I'm saying that I'm like this cultured son of a gun, but yeah. So I mean, clearly did some work, had some success, but didn't stick with it for various reasons. So, yeah. Yeah. So next we have Russ Bender. Uh, he plays Hank, uh, two other episodes, the fugitive and the hitchhiker. Yeah. And I also had here, um, 1957's The Amazing Colossal Man. So we go from a shrinking man to a colossal man. Nice. Um, uh, he also was in War of the Worlds. So oh, I like nice. that as well. Um, the Hitchhiker is going to come back here in a second. Uh, keep that on pause. Uh, it's a good episode. But uh, next we have Danny Click plays JoJo. One other episode. And that was Cavender. Is coming. Did I pronounce it right? Yeah, you said JoJo right. Uh, No, Cavender is coming. Yeah, eight eight credits. You know, two of them were Twilight Zone kid actors. You roll the dice. Um, I am not a fan of JoJo. Just going to say that right now. But I just feel bad for this actor that he was in Cavender is coming, and he's he's probably still with us doing things. It's like, and that was one of my. um, It was a backdoor pilot to do another weird. Here's a guardian angel going to help somebody, and Carol Burnett was in it, and it's like, and she was wasted. She had some funny bits, but it's like, Carol Burnett's way too good for what that episode was, and um, it's a bummer. Yeah, I mean, sometimes scripting can really be a torturous thing for mm. certain actors, um, but you know, you can't really play that against the actor themselves. Um, but, uh, uh, We'll get to an interesting fact about uh, Danny later. So, uh, n- next from my notes, at least, Paul, mm-hmm. I have Lou Galo. Uh, two other episodes: mm-hmm. Rip Van Brinkle character. Yeah, Rip Van Brinkle keeper. Yeah, his character um, that was named Brooks. By the way, I just want to point that out because we just talked about uh, James Whitmore playing Brooks in the Shawshank Redemption. So Lou Gallo played a character named Brooks. Um, not that that's important, but weird. Hmm. Interesting. And then, uh, yeah, he was also in The Hitchhiker. Yeah. Hitchhiker's, like, it's one of those people, we'll be able to talk about, like, standout, like, you know, top of, like, top of the top episodes of Twilight Zone, Hitchhiker, can't go wrong with that. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, if that's it for your credits, I have a couple more to go through real fast. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I have Madge Kennedy as colonist. Um, who knows who that is? I want to guess they are wearing a sun hat and wore gray. Throw that out there. Um, probably covered in dirt. Uh, only Twilight Zone appearance, born in 1891. Uh, she did a lot of work in silent pictures, and so she made the transition to talkies, which I know that's like this film was like this episode was shot in 63, so that, that's not surprising then. It will always blow my mind when we see people that are acting in things that were born in 1890s. You know, it's like, it's just like, it's just, it's just amazing to me. So I thought I just wanted to point that out. She actually had quite a career. And even though it's a bit part of the Twilight Zone, she was she had a, a hell of a career as an actress going from not only silent films to transitioning to talkies, you know? Like, that's pretty crazy. Not everybody was able to do that. Um, yeah, go, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, I was going to say, it's amazing that, you know, sometimes we have these actors that are within that era of uh, transition of the doing, like, silent film to talkies and you know, it's like they're still they still had a career after that point, too. Like it was like a very boisterous, like it was like it was 
booming career honestly like some some of the actors really had something like a stride going well it's like this think about like this and and, and so my math's going to be a little fuzzy so forgive me but 1891 born before flight um, before manned flight born before television born before the advent of what would be regular like um you know film like technology uh and and a lot of radio technology so she was born in a world that was like transitioning into like this 20th century and it's like i can't imagine like being in 63 where you're on a soundstage with like i don't know it's like like not that i'm saying that we haven't seen advances in technology growing up because we certainly have like the internet's a big thing but um i don't think that the um the leaps and bounds would are are as evident to us uh, as it would be someone then you know, like, uh, you just think about motor vehicles then too, like how far, my God, anyway, but that's the stuff that blows my mind and that she was born like, you know, around 30 years after the resolution of the civil war too. Just think about that. That's messed up. It's, so. it's some of the earliest depictions of certain episodes that Rod Serling was putting on screen or around when she was born too. <laughs> yes. So. Yep. So he was probably like, Hey, I got some questions about the past. How many cigarettes are smoked back then? Oh, anyway, so <laughs> uh, we have a John Ward as colonist. Uh, only Twilight Zone appearance. The reason I mentioned this is because he was in something called Space Master X7, which is probably not nearly as cool as the title, but I just wanted to mention that. Uh, Tony Benson as colonist. Only Twilight Zone appearance. 10 total credits. Uncredited and Bye Bye Birdie. So this guy was having a banner year, and that was about it for him. So, you know. That you must, he probably had great stories to tell later about the time he was in, like, uncredited in the number one film in America at the time that he was also in the Twilight Zone broadcasting on TV. That's pretty cool, right? Like, good on him. Um, and then you mentioned Lou Gallo. So that's all I have for uh, for cast and uh, crew. Yeah, that that's that's it for me too. All right, let's just uh, let let Sterling here uh, take us away. This is William Benteen who officiates on a disintegrating outpost in space. The people who are a remnant society, who left the Earth looking for a millennium, a place without war, without jeopardy, without fear. And what they found was a lonely, barren place whose only industry was survival. And this is what they've done for three decades, survive. Until the memory of the Earth they came from has become an indistinct and shadowed recollection of another time and another place. One month ago, a signal from Earth announced that a ship would be coming to pick them up and take them home. In just a moment, we'll hear more of that ship. More of that home and what it takes out of mind and body to reach it. This is the Twilight Zone. I just want to mention also that this was actually shot in Mansfield, Ohio. That's, that's the exact background you see of the craggy mountains and rocks. That's not true. I just, I just wanted to imply that uh, that this was shot in Ohio. That's not, that's not true at all. But I just want to be like, I want, I want James Whitmore to be like, yeah, I've been to Mansfield. It's all just craggy and rocks, right? I could do this again. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Terry, uh, start off the story after my terrible joke about comparing um, this, this space rock to Ohio. You're not too far off because it's just like run down uh, like, uh, industry and uh, and a lot of rocks. So. They're like, <laughs> man, things have changed since the mountains went out of business. Like, yeah, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> like, <laughs> Sorry. So um, our, opening, our opening scene is two sons just glaring down on our uh, – 
our town folk at this point. Uh, it's a small radio tower, uh, and it's um, rotating around, whatever. And um, we see that uh, Ventine comes up, and he comes to check and see if there's any updates. Has he? Has the uh, the guy who's on post heard anything? Any new news? Nothing. Nothing to report. Whatever. So he Ventine uh, goes down. And he checks the water line. So there's this ongoing water line of people coming up and filling up their canteens, whatever. And um, he he asks how the water's going. And it's like water, you know, it's wet, it's nothing memorable, whatever. Hot and flat. And he's like, but wet? It's like, that sounds like you said that to us yesterday and the day before, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, and then he, he goes up to, I think it's Julie at this point, And he says, uh, you know, where's your husband? Uh, he's inside. He's a, he's in the, you know, like our, our little home. Well, go get him. Is it okay? It's important. You know, like put on a double, get him out here right now. So as she, she's going out there, he's kind of checking on the conditions for the other people that are in line at this point. And uh, he's kind of trying to build morale for them. And, um, you know, what does he say? Oh, he's like, don't worry. Yeah, he's like, don't worry. Six months from now, we'll be having, what was it? He said, like, hot fudge, chocolate, Chocolate. milkshake, sodas or something. It's just like, you just kept putting words together and added the word soda to that, didn't you? You know, he's just like, you know, I don't know. Um, Like, just, but you, like, from the jump, you get the idea that Benteen cares about these people and that he's a good shepherd. Like, you know, this is like, you already see from the twin sons, which is a twilight zone. Like you could almost throw that up as a, like a, um, a trope for them because there was, um, all oh, the episode elegy had twin sons. There's other, the twin sons have shown up previously. Um, so you know that you're definitely somewhere else that you shouldn't be. Uh, and you could just tell by the haggard landscape, uh, you could tell by how gritty and dirty everything looks like this. This episode looks like it needs like a, a scrubbing, like it just the grit and the sweat is palpable and it just, it's disgusting, like rightfully so, but everybody looks miserable, you know, much like Mansfield, Ohio. I'm going to, I'll stop making jokes about Mansfield. Probably not, but you get the idea that Ben teen is trying to put on a, on a positive face and keep people looking forward even though he's about to meter out some, um, some, uh, not punishment, but, um, discipline is the right word. Yeah. He, he gives, he kind of gives the third degree to, uh, Julie's husband, Al, who comes out and he, he kind of like hand waves it. Like, Hey man, I just, I just overslept. He's like, yeah, he's been waiting on you two hours over in that tower. And, um, L was like, We've been we've been here for thirty years, two watches a day. What's gonna change? Like all we're hearing is just static on on those microphones and that. It's like so you kinda you have to feel a little bit for what Al's saying because it's such a long period of time that they've been doing the same routine. But you also are trying to understand that Benteen is giving uh, like control to the situation an understanding of there's a possibility. We got to take it. We got to, we got to 
uh, know that if we put in the effort that maybe it may pay off. Well, that he's also trying to put in the accountability of like, you need to help your fellow man out, you know? And mm-hmm. like, so, cause if you stop, you know, giving a shit about those around you, then the whole thing falls apart, which that's reiterated later. And at this point, like I'm on Benteen's side, like he's like how, how everybody's held together for 30 years at this point is a miracle because like, um, we never really know wh- why they're there other than like there was an exploratory mission to try to establish another world. And we'll talk more about that in a second, I'm sure. But what is there? It is like the pointiest mountains and then clearly a field in which they grow rocks. I don't know what their export is like in terms of like, Hey everybody, the rocks are coming in good this year. Cool. Drink some hot water. All right. Thanks. I don't know what they do there. I don't know what it's like. I don't see agriculture. I know they have some water, but it just feels like if this is how we got pet rocks in the seventies, then man, like that, that makes that whole industry look a lot darker. (laughs) And actually it make a lot more sense too. (laughs) It wasn't just some guy, piling up money like Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. He's like, listen, these got mined out in space. Good people lost their lives. So you can have a goddamn pet rock. It's like, okay, great. This one, this one's named, uh, this one's named bill. That's my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Like blood rocks instead of blood blood rocks. (laughs) You know, people died for this rock. Yeah. Um, Um, yeah, please go ahead. It's, 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 it's one of those things where it's like, it makes me question why in the hell these people went there in the first place. So, I mean, you know, it's like you got to understand that whoever had been there, especially for 30 years, has to be really tempered in the sense that it's like whatever we do day to day is going to give us longevity. Like we're going to survive that much longer if we do like a constructed behavior. Yeah. Like now that we're talking about this, that makes me think, um, I don't know if you saw the film from a few years ago, um, the Martian with Matt Damon. Um, there's the, whenever he finds out that like his, uh, a lot of his primary systems are screwed up. He thinks of ways to just keep, can't keep living until he can get like NASA's attention. And there's a lot of that, that same type of like, not grim desperation, but more like I better give myself a purpose. Cause if not, then the game is over. I have not seen it, but I, I, Definitely look forward to it. Uh, it like especially in the context of what we had watched in this episode, it, it brings to light that you know there are a lot of people that you know. I, I and I I get to this point too, where it's like you look at your cell phone, you check social media, you do something that's very monotonous and not worthy of your time, and then you think about well, what else could be worthy of my time? Like, could I do this? Could I figure out a way to? I don't know at least make myself be eating a better meal for the rest of the day. Like I, and these kinds of like this kind of episode made me think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, we get, um, you're right. That's, that's a good call because even now we, when we get to, uh, uh, I, I forget what the, the surly thing comes in after we get, um, we get Ben Ting going over to look at the remnants of the, the landed ship where it's written out. It says Pilgrim one, you know, first like exploratory mission, blah, 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 erected August, 1991. So I'm glad that we got out that far then. That's good. Just before I went to high school. Um, but then we get, I believe that's when we get the Sterling intro talking about him and what's going on. But we move from there to this, this cave set 
that it looks great. And I understand they're going for like the sound that, Hey, we're in a cave. So it's going to sound echoey. That audio just pissed me off every time they went inside. That's just me. But, um, we have him talking to one of his, uh, we have Benteen talking to what I forget the, his, his main other guy. Um, it's not, uh, is it Al? Uh, yeah, probably Al. Um, but he, Al. yeah, cause Al was trying to look at like these internal systems. He's like, we don't have enough wiring for this. This is what, you know, like we're running short of supplies. And then they're, they're talking about like, well, we have to get these rooms refrigerated. If not, the temperature's going to go up. And so they make the decision, like Benteen pulls wires off of another portion of this box, says, okay, make it work. And Al's like, oh, yeah, we can stop like this, like um, the salt water um, portion of the water. Like they, like they take the salt out of the water for a couple of days. And it's like you see that, they, that the whole 30 years has been them robbing Peter to pay Paul just to keep everybody alive. And Benteen understands that it's like people can live, but things are just going to get harder and harder but they can make it work. And, and, and it's it, I, the fact that they've lasted a, this long and probably have run thin on so many different supplies is a true testament to the uh, ability to live, you know? Yeah. And, and then, um, so the whole thing too, is that we, we've got to mention, but they heard a signal a month before, which Sterling alludes to that there's a ship coming. And so not only have they been like trying to like, you know, keep moving forward and trying to live, there is now this new hope that, Hey, someone's coming. And so, um, when they have the conversation in the cave about like, you know, what can we do? And like, things are going to change. There's this, there is this, um, disturbance that happens outside. And I, of, of all the things I've seen in the twilight zone, I was, I was not expecting what actually happened next and how they showed it. And I don't know if it's just from watching this from like late 59 to 63 now, and what I think was more appropriate in people's minds on television, I was not expecting the imagery that we'd get coming up next. And credit this episode that I actually kind of was like, holy shit, that happened. Um, Benteen runs out and sees uh, people all gather around. One of their um, one of their flock has hung themselves. And you just see the lady's skirt and her um, her shoes. And my God, that that caught me completely off guard. And honestly, like it really shows what the mental instability is going on and within this group and that like they know the heartache. I mean, you could see it in their faces while they're coming to get water and everything, but this really drives it home. There is there are problems that are greater than just not having water, possibly not having food. It just being a hot day. It's getting to these people on a different level. Yeah, because it's also stated that like there's never nighttime. It's always hot. It's always it's just the same, same, same. And um, yeah, it just I was going to make the joke that he looked up and saw that it said uh, Brooks was here and be like, what's that mean? But anyway, um, uh, I just that's just me being a, this dark, dark person saying James Whitmore's like I've seen my future. But uh, so they they go to cut her down. They have like a, a funeral an hour later. And, um, they're, they're basically saying she doesn't know she's not, she didn't know what she did. Let's forgive her. Let the Lord forgive her. Then Al's kind of the one, um, guy who is like saying, you know, you tell us that we need to find a way to live and that, but yet you won't let us like, basically like if we want to die, you won't let us do this. And he's, he's implying like, well, we like, we're here 
and we still should have some say of what's going on. And Benteen goes this whole thing about like, well, Al wants the, you know, the strong to take from the weak and the steel, like the young to steal from the poor. And we'll have anarchy. And when the ship shows up, there's going to find a pack of animals, which I get his point. He, I think he was overselling it just to downplay Al, but Al, I, I think Al's kind of a, kind of a, a deadbeat, but he's not wrong at all. Like, I think he's just that guy that is smart enough to know that he doesn't, he doesn't need to work as hard as everybody else. And he's just not happy about it. That's the vibe I get from him. Yeah. And I, 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 the, the, the other point that could be taken from that though, is that it's one voice that could create a problem. And I think that Benteen sees that clearly. It's like, let me explain away how Al is feeling about this situation. Let me put your your feelings at ease right now because Al really sees this as being a detriment to how we should be as a society, a society right now and how we should grow from this. And I think that Benteen is really trying to own up to this, this uh, mentality that he's in control and anybody who feels differently about it um, – should feel a little bit at a point where they need to talk to him about it as opposed to listening to their inner feelings and inner choices about it. Well, it's like you get, you get the notion that it's like, he's been doing this long enough that if someone is um, of a differing mindset and not in line that they could cause the whole thing to fall apart. And so he's going to come out swinging with the worst case scenario, like, you know, and, uh, and then th- this is reflected later and not to step on the point, but whenever he, even though it's, I think it's very derogatory, he's not giving the people of the, the colony credit. He says to Sloan later, they're all children. He's like, they might be like biologically older, but they're all kids. And it's like, so he's, he treats them like kids. And even with the notion that we find out later, that he showed up like he first showed up on this colony at age 15. So he himself was a kid. So I feel like we've got some children of the corn shit going on here, but that that's neither here nor there. But, um, the bit whenever he he does this, um, it's almost like a televangelist thing of like just just chant, the ship is coming, the ship is coming, and getting everybody to slowly get on board and chant, which we played at the beginning of the show. Um, there's there's a very um, haunting music cue behind it, and then everybody starts chanting it. It's effective, and you get the power that Benteen has at that point. Because he's the one true, like he just he 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 understands what people need, and he's feeding them exactly what they need. Like, and in this instant, he calms them, and he is able to get them to rise to his uh, ability at that yeah. point. Like to, you know, and but in that instant though, when everybody's with him, we hear some kind of weird noise. I'm uh, not really understanding what it is at that moment. Maybe it's a ship coming. Who knows? And then all of a sudden we see a meteor shower is coming down on him. Yeah. It's like, I, I laugh because it's like here meteor storm. And then everybody just, just, just hauls ass, which I'm, I'm going to say it now for 63 television production, the meteor storm sequence actually looks pretty damn good. Like I was actually honestly impressed. Like you could see some of the, 
the way they kind of projected some of the flames and stuff, but like some of the debris falling around and, and some of the explosions and everybody running around the soundstage. Um, this is a higher budgeted set piece that I think we've seen in a Twilight Zone episode in quite some time. And I was surprised and excited by it because I did not see that coming. I dug it. I, I truly dug it because um, especially in certain cues that we were supposed to see something that was like at least on a, a very practical um, kind of stance as far as um, uh, special effects and that they weren't able to ado- uh, able to accommodate really what it was. This, I think it was above and beyond. I, I think it was really cool for 63. I dug it. Yeah. And I think also probably what helped though is that it wasn't in color. Like I know that like that's sometimes you, you can get away with some stuff, you know, if it's shot black and white, black and white, uh, and it looked good. And so, uh, the, the, the important things to take from this though, is that as they're rushing to the cave of annoying sounds, uh, Benteen is actually, he's showing direction until everybody gets to the cave. He is putting himself in harm's way to make sure everybody else is taken care of. So it shows character qualities of him, which is great. Um, and then we get in the cave and I, the one thing I like, he's just like, okay, everybody just keep quiet. Just keep, I'll keep talking loud. I'll, I'll be the loudest person in here. Just everybody keep quiet. <laughs> I think the storm's over, but everybody has shut up with me. Like I just, I get what was going on there, but I thought it was funny that he's telling everybody to keep quiet and he just keeps talking the entire time. Yeah, it was like a weird cue because it was almost talking to like a singular person. Like, shh, don't worry. Like, the, the storm's almost over. Like, mm-hmm. my dog, my dog freaks out about storms. So I try to soothe him in that same way. But he's talking to 183 people, 187 people. <laughs> and it's like, I don't think it works the same way, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, that's, that's a good, that's a good analogy. I like that. Uh, so then he decides that, and this is, there, there's a lot of good in this episode. And I think we're going to come out on the other end with a lot of positives. This whole, like, I don't know how long this went on. I think it was for three years of this episode where Benteen stops to talk to Jojo and the whole thing of Jojo's a small child and he's like, Jojo, why are you scared? And the kid's like, I can't act. I don't know words. He's like, well, let me tell you a story about earth. Um, and I put my notes, Jojo is scared. I hate Jojo is what I wrote in my notes. <laughs> um, and so the people that were born on the colony want to hear about earth again. And you can, you can almost tell that Ben teens like this, um, He's like that that uncle come of Thanksgiving. He's like, oh, you don't want to hear that story again, do you? Oh, I shouldn't tell it. And it's like, just tell the story you want to tell anyway, right? And so he goes on to talk about his vision and like what he remembers of Earth. And it's it's a like in, in credit to Whitmore, like it's a very good monologue. I just think it like it puts the brakes on this episode so hard. I get what it's setting up, but I feel like it goes on too long. That's just me. But again, they're writing for an hour on this, um, so whatever. I just feel like it, it just destroys the the momentum that you had coming into this meteor shower, where it's like now we're all going to get quiet in a cave, and I'm going to talk to this kid that doesn't understand words uh, about um, about night skies that are like velvet, or because it's like he's never seen night. Like, what does that even mean? Or or Jojo, did you know that ships on the ocean used to unfurl large stretch of cloth and use the wind? 
you're saying words he doesn't understand the context for. Thank you for explaining it further because he still doesn't understand what you're talking about. I'm overthinking this, but it bugged me. Uh, no, it, it, it makes complete sense. I mean, especially when you talk about um, certain things like velvet, like they have probably canvas that they're wearing because some of those outfits that they're wearing look like the hardest material I could ever imagine being wearing. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh, what do we have left? Well, we have this uh, potato sack. That's this year's fashion. You know, like, okay, great. Cool. Do we have any more of those uh, beachcomber hats that no one likes wearing? Yeah, we got a whole box of those. That's all we got on the ship for 30 years was uh, a bunch of rock hammers because we didn't know what we we're doing and a bunch of beach hats. Good luck, colonists. Yeah, they, they really set them up for failure at this point. I don't know what the hell kind of specs they were looking at at this dismal freaking piece <laughs> of land that was like a planet. Like, I, I, especially if the fact that like they couldn't figure out that where they were going to land was constantly in view of these two suns always like no one even thought about going over to you know the other side where <laughs> it wasn't i like the idea it's just like it's like listen there's 119 people that made this journey it's like what did you pack well we have enough crates of zinc oxide to put on people's noses when they go to the pool so they get that white bit so they don't get sunburned there and a bunch of beach hats and some pool floaties it's gonna be a party that's all we need in space right like yeah yeah true yeah well yeah. also like now that we're more educated in, in how environments work how was there sustainable oxygen on this planet just full of rocks? That's what's something else I want to throw out there. It's like, like, and where's the water coming from? Like, not that they need to explain all this, but it, it's, it's 63. That's not the point of the story, but it's like, they're putting them in like, you know, Satan's butthole. Like, I want to like, at least understand <laughs> like some understanding of why they thought this would be better than earth, you know? Yeah, uh, 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 how they could like cultivate this planet? Like, oh, I, I'm not even sure of the exact word that they would have been aiming for. Like, what would have made them aim for this planet of all things? Like, the fact that it has breathable breathable air, like that's about it. They're like, like listen, listen, it's two suns, but there's no humidity, so it's more of a dry heat, you know. <laughs> Oh yeah. Anyway, so he tells Jojo's story about Earth and everything, and it's very romantic. And you know, like you, he's saying it to calm the people, and he's like basically like saying that's that's where we're going to go. And then once the meteor showers over, then they actually hear the the sounds of something outside, and then it just turns out that the ship actually arrives. Which uh, credit also this episode. Um, I didn't know if it ever would. I always thought maybe the title of on Thursday with leave for home was more of like the, you keep moving the goalposts and people keep working, but the ship shows up right before like the, the chapter break. Yeah. I, 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 I was kind of wondering if it was going to aim that way or not. Um, because we've seen these kind of episodes where we, we might think that something, drastic change is coming but it never does um what was i shot an arrow into the air what was the one episode yeah yeah another great sterling title but yeah where the guys like they're they're uh, part of a rocket crew that they think they crash land on a meteor and they um 
you know, again, they see clouds and they breathe air, but they're like, we're on some foreign planet. And then they wander around and find out they're like, like six miles away from like Reno or some shit. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's your ending. Not a fan of the episode. Uh, 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 my, my co-host on invasion of the podcast, Steve actually likes it better than myself. And I don't know how we're still friends because of this, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. I mean, it was like, there was some promise in that episode, but I think the execution wasn't really, uh, performed well, Mm -hmm. but, um, but you know, it's like, it's somewhat reminiscent of like where I was thinking that this episode would go. It's like, there is an idea that maybe they might find something to latch onto like some promise of hope. And when they have that hope, um, it, it won't go anywhere. Um, obviously that played out different in that episode, but, um, this, when we finally see the ship come down, it's like, no, it's not, it's not a mirage. It's like, it's actually happening. This is like the promised land that, you know, Benteen has been giving to them, like explaining to them, it's going to happen now. Yeah. And everybody like loses their shit. Rightfully so. And it's actually a really good scene because everybody's like just excited and, uh, we get Colonel Sloan coming off, um, like the gangplank or whatever you want to call it, like off the, the, I want to point out that the, the, the UFO and the, the, the gear that Sloan is wearing for, um, galaxy six is it, it, like the, the outside of the UFO looks exactly the same as the one that we saw from death ship. And then the, the gear that he's wearing with the little, uh, meteor pin or whatever it is, is the same outfits and pins that Jack Klugman's crew was wearing in death ship. So I know that's just a production decision, but I'm just like, don't trust that ship. You don't know where it's been. That's what, that was my first thought. Um, and again, I love that little, I love that little medallion of the, like the little like comet. I want one of those. Those are so cool looking. We can make that work. We can make that work. I'll, uh, I'll talk to my people here, Paul. Okay. I appreciate that. Then we'll do that. So yeah, so uh, we get uh, Sloan coming off the ship, and uh, and Benteen's struggle is, is, is talking to him, and he's trying to explain things. And then there's the whole bit where the one of the guys runs up. He's like, "Can JoJo give the Colonel the kiss?" And it's just like he's like, "Of course he can." I'm like, "No, no, you you dirt child, get away from him. You don't know. Like, just why would you? Ugh, no, no, weird. Didn't like it." You can give him uh, rock world cancer. Like, yeah, what, I, rock yeah. world cancer. It's like, it's like I, want to, I want this guy to be like, no, 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 Jojo, I'm okay. Um, uh, we'll make sure that you get it. We give you a bath first. And also, you know, it's like he's just, he's like this Dickensian like street urchin. Like, can I give you a kiss? Nope. Like, <laughs> oh, whatever. Anyway, it was weird, but I get what they're doing. But then the whole thing is like everybody's excited. And, and so, as Sloan's talking to Benteen and uh, about like, you know, Hey, you know, it's, you're going to find earth similar to where you were when you left. And, you know, he's like, but thank God we never had that hydrogen war. So I'm glad that that didn't happen in 91. I was worried about that for a second. Um, the, the episode then pivots in a direction again, that I was not expecting, which becomes, it isn't the idea that the galaxy six crew, like there's nothing nefarious about them. There's no hidden agenda. They've gotten orders to come rescue or recover the Pilgrim One crew um, because basically it's never said, but the powers that be is like, yeah, we probably shouldn't have sent those like 100 and some people to the worst place ever. Let's go get them back, you know? And so 
there's never any ulterior motive, which I'll, I'll give Sterling credit. This thing could have been the twist of just like, ah, you shouldn't have believed us. Earth is no longer there. It's now a black hole and we're aliens sent to eat you or whatever. You know, um, it never does that. I did not expect it to become more of a character piece of Ben Teen trying to, the whole thing is like, he's been a caretaker and a shepherd for these people forever. And Sloan is not giving him the, the respect that Ben Teen, I think believes he is owed. And that spirals out like quickly. So did you, in this exact moment where, um, Sloan is trying to figure out the topography in that of the land and that, did you feel that there was anything nefarious? Because I kind of did. Yeah, well, I did too. Because I mean, like, it's the Twilight Zone, and you're already pre-programmed to be like, "Oh, the thing they've been hoping for showing up." And anytime you have the Twilight Zone, where like you, when you get the thing that you want, there's always a price, or you realize that you didn't want it every single time. And that's why we love these shows. That's why we love this kind of storytelling, where it's like, "Be careful what you wish for." In a lot of ways, the the only the only person that suffers from this is Benteen because he always wanted to have that hope hung out out there. But then I think he never realized that the moment his mission was complete, that he's been so laser focused for, you know, 15, 20, 30 years that he suddenly doesn't have a purpose anymore. And because of that, he does not have a value. And that yeah. like that is in a way that's that's probably one of the more human um, like moments of the twilight zone of be careful what you wish for. Cause it isn't just like you're now eternally punished for your decision-making. We'll get to that later. Uh, but it's more like it, like this whole episode and not to, not to step on it too much uh, and get to the end, but this could have easily been, um, like a, a shipwreck on an Island that we just never found. And then suddenly one day, a, uh, a random like plane goes over and sees this colony of people that have been living in like, you know, on this Island for years. And then uh, we come to rescue them. And it's like, what happens to that power structure? This could have easily just been a shipwreck tale. And it pretty much is, you know, like, yeah. then, yeah. And, and well, and especially in certain things that have played out through history. I mean, like even the Donner party and party in that. Oh, it's like, yeah, good call. We, yeah. We, we could have seen some very gruesome things that have played out. Um, the fact that um, they've gotten this far is a true testament to the human will. Um, and I think that they're kind of really boost the ego of where Ben Benteen is like it really, it makes him feel a little bit more, in tune to what had happened and his influence on the moment. So when we see these, these next sequences play out, it's, it's kind of a play against him. It's a, it's a, a jab at his character. It's a jab at him and his ability to keep these people safe. Well, it's a, it's a, Uh, it's a, it's a a self-perceived, perceived jab because like, uh, like, yeah, the galaxy six crew, like they have a mission and, but the thing is, if you, you then learn whenever he's talking to Sloan that everyone's like, everyone calls me captain because I'm the guy that's been running around here. That is a, a title that was given without 
like documentation and he wants to make sure everybody knows that like that he's capped it so anytime that Sloan and crew and I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you off because I'm now captain I'm now you know I don't know if you know this I'm captain now I'm giving I'm just throwing that out there I know you're colonel but I'm captain um he is now going to read the room about like every time any, any aids given, which we go forward to where um, we find out that, um, Oh, what's his face? Uh, 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 Matthew Broderick's father um, has broken his arm during the meteor strike. Uh, he has like this little, <laughs> basically it's what it's, it's that junk yeah. science of like, yeah, he has, he has that junk science of like, Oh, I got this metal band on my arm. It's going to heal me. It's like, okay, great. And then like his wife is like, I got this, this little patch on my, my face. It's 24 hours. It regrows the skin. And Benteen's like, Oh, well that is pretty great, but you, Al, you should keep your arm in a sling. I've, I've repaired a lot of broken arms and you can't do that. It's like his, his position's already eroding you know, from the jump. And it's like, and, and you can tell that he isn't happy that people are coming to him for, for all their problems and all their answers, even though he has burdened himself with this. It's, it's like, um, it's a little bit of what they call that. Um, Munchausen syndrome a little bit where, uh, parents will like do bad shit to their kids to draw sympathy. Is that what that, yeah. I think that's what that's called. I'm not saying he was purposely putting Al in the position of getting hurt by a meteor strike, but like having the tragedy around you and you suffer through it makes you look like a bigger martyr. And Benteen's feeling that right then. And I know that's not entirely accurate, but that was the vibe I was getting. Yeah. I mean, that's a good call on now because that, that does seem very fitting for how these people, the people entirely are being treated at this point. So, yeah. So anyway, that was a muddled bit there, but moving forward, um, we find out that they have like three days because on Thursday they leave for home. Uh, that's the title of, uh, the episode. And so they got a couple days to get their house in order and, and, uh, Sloan made it clear to Benteen, Hey, we can get everybody on board. Uh, they can only take a certain amount of personal belongings, you know, like basically everybody just kind of get what you need get your house in order and we're gone. Um, that night, um, quote unquote, cause it's twin sons, uh, which makes me wonder like about George Lucas's star Wars, like, um, freaking, um, Luke lived on a place with twin sons. Makes me wonder what, how much twilight zone he watched before writing that. Um, he, so Benteen's having this big meeting in the cave to try to talk about like, Hey everybody, we gotta get serious here about what's going on. Everybody can like take a couple belongings, like pick your favorite rocks. Cause it's all we're taking with us. Um, or take your favorite sun hat. Cause what other belongings could they possibly have there? Like, I don't understand like, Oh, my autograph picture of, uh, you know, Gene Simmons. I got to, how'd you meet Gene Simmons? Why are you taking that with it? I don't, I have questions, you know, anyway, anyway, dumb joke. I, 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 I'm taking their child. I mean, seriously, like, I, I don't know what you would take. Like, oh, Jojo, I'm sorry. You don't weigh 14. You weigh more than 14 pounds. I guess you got to stay here later. Yeah. Got to go. Cause they, <laughs> yeah. Cause what was it? 113 people that they colonized with. And there was like, when Sloan comes to him, he's like, Oh yeah, we expect to take this many people. And then all of a sudden Benteen's like, yeah, we're at 187 now. It's like, Okay, it's gonna be a tight fit, but we'll make it work. And it's like, dude, what, <laughs> what, what, what's a tight fit at that point? Like, what are you taking? I would honestly be like, we're on a spaceship that needs to get to Earth. 
Y'all are going butt naked. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you might have to lose a limb or two just to make weight. Let's just do it. You know, like, so sorry, Jojo, you're going to be left to uh, the, you're going to rule the world of dirt people. That's fine. There you go. No, you're right. That could have been, that could have been a compelling thing where it's like, yeah, there's a hundred. So we, we could only take 100. Like, I think that would have been like, not, I know that wasn't the point of the show, but, and it wouldn't have been as like overtly nefarious, but then it, man, like then you'd have been team put in the position of I, I I need to care for my flock, but we need to make a decision. Like how how much more compelling would that have been? And I was leaning that way as well. Like this was one of those compelling episodes where it's like I kind of didn't know what certain avenues we would have went down in certain like certain aspects of where we were at the episode. It's like it, especially in this part of the episode, I'm like would it have been only the 114 or whatever they thought they were going to take with them? But of course, you know, through 30 years, people are going to procreate and that and have more kids on a rock planet. Good choice. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, it's like now we're at 187. It's like if he if Sloan would have said that's not going to work, we're not going to be able to make it even off the planet with our with our boosters or whatever if they would have said you know 160 that's it how do you determine who the 37 is going to stay on the planet is yeah and that's it like no one's coming back yeah and i think that would have been a more compelling thing than i think that would have put benteen in a different position of trying to tend to his flock but i know that's not the point of the episode but i i think that would have been Oh hell, that would have been way more compelling to me than. I mean, I'm not saying this was bad. There's some good bits here, but that would have been interesting. Um, so then, as he's like talking to people in the cave about like we got to get our lives together and we got to take our 14 pounds or whatever, and then uh, they're all like, no, 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 we want to ask about Earth, and then they go all these questions, and then Sloane comes in, he's like, I hope I'm not interrupting, and and Benji's like, of course not, and everybody starts asking, he's like, what's you know, what's Wisconsin like? What's What's Florida like? And then like the only, the only thing in there that doesn't make sense, but it was funny is the one kid was like, my dad would talk about baseball. Uh, what city are the Dodgers in now? Which is a funny joke because the Dodgers moved a couple times. So that that was funny. Um, but they're asking questions about a sport that they really don't understand. And the guy in Sloan's like, Oh, the Dodgers are still in LA. They're in 10th place. And everyone's like, ha 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 ha. They have no idea what that means. You know, like, like it's like, I, I don't know. It's just like some of the relevance of some of the statements and everybody was reacting. I'm like, they don't know baseball, but, um, either way, the point is, is that Benteen's losing his power and attention and Sloan, who is not purposely trying to do it. He's trying to, to finish his mission and be accommodating is listening to these individuals that have individual questions because he's viewing them as individuals where Benteen's viewing them as a unit. And really kind of downgrading them as a unit as well. Um, you know, it's like he says in the one sequence that they're they're like children, so you have yeah. to treat them like children. That is so demeaning to this this group of people that he feels like he knows so well and is trying to steer them in such a, a well direction to keep them safe, but also demeaning as hell because – I mean, there are people with children amongst that group, people that are 
that are his same age and he's still talking about uh, talking about them as they are children. Yeah. So then at one point Sloan's like, well, Hey, you know what? Let's go see if we could just go play some baseball outside by the spaceship. And I'm like, that's the most 1963 sentence ever. And they all go running outside. And there's the bit where Ben teens like, no, 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 no. Let's all stay in the cave and sing. Let them hear our harmony. I'm like, you're a buzzkill. Like, Hey, do you want to go play baseball or go sing in a cave? I don't know. Baseball. <laughs> so everybody rushes out to go play baseball, which like, it was the weirdest looking scene of baseball ever. Like how, how tiny was that diamond? By the way, did you notice how small the infield was for the baseball they were playing? It, it was like, three, well, and the fact feet. that like first, first base and third base were so close to the pitcher's <laughs> mound too. Yeah. I don't know. It's like you, you catch the, catch the rock and just lean over and tag the person. I don't know, but whatever. I, yeah. I think that was more uh what cricket. I think that was <laughs> based on a cricket format. So, can you be honest with me in this day and age right now where a lot of uh, things have been shut down due to the, the coronavirus, were you excited to see baseball come back in whatever form was there where you're just like, finally sports on rock planet. Were you excited for that? No, because the, the Indians are playing their 22 game win streak right now on uh, public access or whatever the hell it is. Dude, there's nothing that can make up for actual sports right now. I like sports a lot. <laughs> like this little blip of what sports is supposed to look like didn't do anything for me at all. <laughs> oh, I, I do like that. Like that. What was it? Is it like South Korea? Like their base, their major league baseball leagues coming back and it's performing. And now everybody's excited because it's like, they get to see baseball. And it's like, it's like no one in, in like America gave a, a crap about like overseas baseball until now. And everyone's like, Oh, what's going on over there? It's like, yeah, you miss it when it's gone. And there's a sequence here where I'm like, oh, look at all those people together. They're just playing sports. Wow. That is the far off future of 1991, isn't it? Like, <laughs> What's, what's yeah. pissing me off like crazy is the fact that uh, ESPN, like two or whatever it is, whatever, uh, Ocho, whatever. Ocho. <laughs> <laughs> Ocho. Uh, they're showing people playing, uh, what is it? The newest uh video game and that's their that's their like makeup for like not having live sports i'm like dude that's not enough okay so stop <laughs> it's embarrassing well okay one esports have their places and i'm not i'm not saying that all the time um two two brief asides with that and that's not where i was expecting this episode to go however i will argue that the people of uh you know, rock planet slash uh, Satan's butthole were the champions of, uh, you know, self-isolation. Um, <clears throat> one, as soon as the NBA called their season off, like there's a lot of esports leagues, like a lot of the NBA teams have um, esports teams associated with them that play NBA, like 2K or whatever online. Um, the Phoenix Suns decided that they're going to play the rest of their season out digitally with one of their players that loves gaming. And they would put out Twitter results and let people watch them play the rest of the NBA season online, which I thought was funny. I thought that was great. Um, and two, um, when it comes to, what was it? Uh, there was a Madden championship that happened recently. Uh, I just want to tell you this because you'll appreciate this. The guy who won the game, won the Madden Bowl, didn't throw a single pass. He ran run plays and had a ridiculous defense and won like 14 to 3. Huh. 
It just kind of sounds like the Baltimore uh, Ravens. So. <laughs> well, no, and his uh, and his main uh, his main quarterback was the punter for the Redskins because he was left-handed, and he was like, and left-handed like run plays are a thing that are harder to defend against because most people assume most quarterbacks are right-handed. That's neither here nor there, but it's just one of those moments of like this guy broke this game because he understands how people think. So I appreciate that. So that's not this episode, but we're in this <laughs> we're in this vacuum of like content. Right. So, um, yeah, uh, whatever. Anyway, they're playing baseball so, on the desert planet. Yeah, so hopefully you're still listening. So we're still oh, talking about, <laughs> we're still talking about the episode, not sports. It's not sports cast. I, I, I like the idea that people like switch the radio, which is just this podcast. Like, Oh, they're talking about sports. I'm done. We're done here. Um, I want to hear about trapeze artists that didn't quite make it. That's what I want to hear about. Um, so, yeah, uh, so Benteen is upset about the baseball because he's like, oh, they're going to pay for this later. Basically saying like, oh, they're exerting themselves under these twin sons. They're going to die. And Sloan's like, it's a little bit of baseball. And, and Benteen's like, do you know what temperature is out here right now? And he's like, and Sloan's like, I couldn't give you a degree. I could just tell you that it's like just by, um, what do you say? By like how uncomfortable I am. And then Benteen's like, I think it's 110 out here. And I'm like, also what you're saying is like a, like a summer, like a late summer day in Vegas, which I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's livable. Like, you know, like it isn't like, Oh, I think it's like 200 degrees outside. We're going to burst into flame. The moment someone takes first. But I think Benteen was just trying to be like, you don't know my people. I know my people. This is, this is bad for them. Yeah, no, that's true. And it's a, um, the fact that it's only 110 during that time, it's kind of like surprising. The fact that there's only rocks around them and two suns above them. Um, but at the same point, it's like you don't understand how uh, dehydration works. Mm-hmm. And like, like again, like this kind of reverts back to Sloan not understanding the topography and like what's going on on that planet. Oh, so. This is uh, this is your planet. Like this, the suns always are always here. Like they're always shining, and you know, it. Like I, I get where Benteen is concerned. It makes sense, but it's the same point. It's like seeing smiles on people's faces. Give them that moment. You know, give them that moment of bereavement in the sense that it's like they had all these years of like frustrations and anger, and uh, they just watch one of their fellow people hang themselves yeah you know like we got to have something to put a smile on our face i mean uh, we've all been there unfortunately and it's like if we can have a moment relish well and in sloan's mind like they're all leaving in two days so this isn't like a situation that you have to constantly maintain it's like yeah this might tax them a little bit but we're about to take them out of here and take them to earth where things are going to be different, you know? And Ben Teen's not treating it like that. And he says to him, you know, you might be Colonel on the ship, but while I'm here, I'm captain. And then Sloan's like, fine, fine, fine. He goes over and he's like, okay guys. Okay. Baseball time's over because Ben Teen's a dick. He didn't say that. Uh, but he gets his uh, crew back on the ship and he calls the game off and, and, and Ben Teen's like, I'll let you guys know when the new day begins. And he sends like, you know, his people back and there's the bit where Sloan talks to one of his, his, um, his officers. And there's, there's, um, there's a, actually I should let me rewind back a second. There, there's a bit where Sloan says to, uh, Ben Teen, he's like, you have a weighty fist, which uh, that was referring later earlier, whenever, um, 
I was talking about some of Sterling's dialogue. I don't think anybody would ever say that phrase to somebody. It was it's wonderful though. And Ben Teen's like, yeah, and if it was one house lighter, we wouldn't have made it. So Sloan's basically being like, you're really heavy handed, but okay, fine. I'll play ball for a second. And then later when he's talking to his officer, he's like, yeah, he's like, Ben Teen's a good guy, but he has one character flaw. And he's like, what's that? He's like, uh, he views himself as a God and we're about to kick him out of his heaven. And that's the, that's the halfway point of the episode. And it's a very telling line that it, 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 it lays the playing field, like for view for everybody, all the motivations and sets up everything for the second half of the episode. Yeah, this is truly correct. I mean, like in that moment, we understand where both sides stand and how one wants to help and the other wants to coddle. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of gets muddy at that situation because, you know, you you know, you feel for Benteen, but at the same point, you know, Sloan's just trying to do what he was directed to do from the beginning. Yeah, and it's like, I, he's also trying to do his best like to not rock the boat too much. And like as much as he doesn't understand the topography, you know, it's, it's a wonderful way to put it. He also has a mission and understands that like me pissing off everybody before I put him on my ship for like a month's like six month long voyage is not going to help anybody. Like you get that notion from him. So then when we get after the, the, like the, the midpoint of the episode, um, we get, uh, Benteen, Coming onto the UFO, sorry, ship, whatever. It's a UFO. Um, I mean, I guess it's a it's, it's an IFO. It's an identified flying object. And he goes to talk to Sloan. He's like, "Oh, here, I got my ledger book full of all the approximate weights." And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "But we have this older scale that's like four or five pounds off." And then, and then Sloan's like, "This is wonderful. This is way more than I asked for." And he's also like, "We also have a scale that's accurate. We'll figure it out." <laughs> like, <laughs> but he's trying to trying to loop in Benteen to make him still feel like he has a purpose because he does, you know? Uh, but then they have the whole thing where, where Sloan's like, ah, you know, when we get back to earth, it's like, you're going to have like ticker tape parades. Everybody's going to be all over you guys. Wonder what's going on with the lost pioneers and all this. And then this is where we get, where I start losing Benteen, where he's like, Oh no, 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 no. We're all staying together. And so what are you talking about? He's like, no, no, no. We're coming back to earth, but we're staying together. And, and Sloan's like, but, have you, have you talked to everybody about this? And that's when we get the comment. He's like, they're children. Like they don't know any better. Wherever, wherever we go, I will lead them and we'll be together. And Sloan rightly asks him like, have you talked to them about this? <laughs> and I think that's, a, I think that that's the one question that's aged the best of like, have you talked to everybody involved in here? Are they okay with this? And that's where I start to lose, um, compassion for Benteen. Like I can still understand his, um, he, he, he refers to all the, 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 everybody else's children, but he's having the most childlike reaction to this. Yeah. And he keeps on like referring to him as my people. Yeah. Like it's, it's his sack. Like we may be going back to earth, but they're going to be continuing to be my people. And it's a very, that's a scary thought. And from this point forward, I had to have, illusions of like uh, cult leaders at this point. Like it, it, I couldn't help it, but this felt very like Jim Jones to me. That's fair. And I think that once we get to this point, thinking about him having the unified chant of the ship is coming 
takes a darker tone and that's where I feel like the music cue pays off better upon the rewatch with all that. So then we go uh, to him um, trying to talk to everybody about like, here's what's going to happen. Then he, he basically, he, he modifies his story about earth and he, he tries to convince everybody else that the story he's been telling them is like his dream of earth, like his, his perfect vision. And it's not as good as he says it is. Um, and he wants them all to stay together cause he feels like he'll keep them together. And, but the thing is why he's like trying to talk about this. Everyone's asking questions about like, Oh, well I have families in the finger lakes. I have families in Wisconsin, whatever. Right. Um, and then someone's like, I have family in Mansfield. And he was like, well, it's going to be pretty much the same. There you go. Brought it right back. Um, and they're not, you get the notion that like it never occurred to them that that they would stay together as a group. Like you, you don't get any animosity or sadness, but they're looking forward to the next thing. And Ben teens trying to, you know, like quell their fears. And someone's like, Oh, we want to farm. He's like, well, wherever we'll go, there'll be good farming. And they're like, you didn't understand my statement. You know, <laughs> like, and it becomes this like really awkward back and forth about him. Like he was losing the room before he's lost it completely now. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, it's evident completely in their demeanor. They start hanging their head low. That You can see that they're like, they're visually upset. And in, in this situation, I can't even begin to feel what uh, Benteen is feeling now. Like, you want to, if you wanted to be the best leader you possibly could, you would want to feel for your people. You would want to give them what they th- like. They truly love and want out of their lives, and what they have aspired to be. In the beginning, I mean, like they wanted a, like something uh, greater when they went on this mission in the beginning, and they didn't get that at all. So you would want to give them something when they get back to Earth, you know? Yeah, and so um, when. Whenever uh, he there, there's this telling moment where he's like, we'll be together. Say it with me together. And like a couple people join him for a second, but it's just him chanting the word over and over again. And everybody gets quiet. And that's when, you know, like the game is over. Like, and honestly, um, like had this been like a, a shorter episode for runtime, this probably should have been the episode because I think you get everything you need here from it. But this is season four, so we got to have another seven hours of this episode. Um, but then he goes and talks to to Sloan about it again, uh, and there's a um, he says to Sloan, he's like, "Nope, you guys, when you showed up here, like you've you've ruined everything. You have brought in like this hope." And choice, basically saying you've given them a choice. They didn't have that before. And now they're like, now they think of other things. And Sloan's like, yeah, but you know, all the stuff that you say, you're avoiding war and plague and all this. He's like, you've been living in a test tube. He's like, that's not, he's not wrong with this statement. Then he was like, you need to come back and and break the test tube and, and, and live your life. He's like, that's what we're trying to do. And, and we have Benteen like pushing back against this. And then Sloan's like, fine, let's just ask him what to do. He's like, majority wins. And so then we get um, Ben team bringing everybody out of the cave, ask them what they want to do. 
and uh, most everybody votes to go, uh, even even JoJo, which I, it's like I get why they showed him, but I was like, son of a bitch, will you look at JoJo again? Um, yeah, so that that I I also kind of feel like this should have been the end of the episode. This is where you know his his kingdom is done, right? Like I feel like this would have been the perfect grace note in this episode on of him seeing that he he's no longer his position has changed, but we still have like 10 minutes left in this thing. Yeah. It, it's one of those situations that like it could have ran a little bit leaner, but the, the fact that he's telling these people, his people that he says um, that if, and when they get back to earth, they're going to die. They, they're yes. not going to survive without being together. Uh, that's a really scary proposition to give to people that have looked to you for guidance for, 30 plus years and um you know like that's exactly like that's the solidification that's not a word uh solidifies um where i felt like this was jim jones like in like doing a lot of uh research and listening to and watching documentaries about jim jones this was that moment like it's like they almost called it in the cult mentality where if I can't control you and I can't give you guidance, then you're going to die without mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And you should be like, all right, guys, everybody, we're going to drink these rocks and uh, we'll be fine after. No, but you're right. Like there's, he, he just, he starts pinballing from like, Oh no, 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 no. Well then, um, you know, we shouldn't go to, you can't go to, uh, you should vote. And then when they say we're leaving and so then, uh, he freaks out, goes over to like part of the radar tower and grabs a pole and as much as I feel like as effective as the hanging scene was earlier, that caught me off guard of like, holy shit, they went there, him bringing this pipe and trying to destroy the UFO that was like the, the saucer. Um, I understand the intent, but it made me laugh and probably not for the right reasons. It was, it was funny. in the fact that it's like, he didn't understand controls whatsoever. He even looked up the steps and he's like, now nah, just go just go bust away at like the landing gear and the landing <laughs> flap i'm gonna go hit this leg in the flap and then the best part about that is like sloan tackles him and makes him drop the pipe but then like his crew members go over and be like i don't know is this flap okay what's going on over here it's like come on guys like it's 1991 you got your shit together you know but whatever um <laughs> um yeah and i'm like what like it would have again this episode was at a point to where he could have ran inside and threw that pole through like like um like the navigation computer or something right and really screwed them up and be like all right it might take you forever to fix this but you're here with us now and we're gonna we're gonna live this way that could have been interesting but again yeah. not the point of the episode but it could have made that decision yeah I wasn't sure if that was like he didn't understand that that was where everything worked because he looked up the steps and I was like <laughs> is he gonna do it is he and then he didn't, and he just went for the landing gear. I was like, okay, obviously he doesn't understand the mechanics of a spaceship. Yeah, because the last time he was on one, he was 15, you know, whatever. So then, um, 
at this point, then Benteen just throws a like a hissy fit. It's, I don't know how to describe it. He's like, he's like, well, I'm not leaving. And Sloan's like, yeah, well, we're leaving without you at this certain time because if we don't, our orbital position is going to be goofed, and we're this is the time to go. So that he runs off and hides in the caves that that was. I believe that's where these refrigerated rooms where people like stayed in and not died like during like the intense parts. It's kind of stated, but it's not quite clear. But um, again, another choice in this episode. So we've got Sloan and then um, is it Al? I think it's Al that's in that, that they go into the caves trying to yell for Benteen and he's hiding like he's hiding like that little kid that threw a fit and doesn't want to admit he's wrong and he just wants to hide. And right. And like Sloan's talking to him. And, and here I thought what was going to happen is that since Sloan doesn't understand the geography of the cave, I thought that Ben team would do something to cause him to like fall to his death or something like again, something like something darker, I guess. But then they're like, okay, well we're giving you the last chance. We got to go. So then Sloan and Al leave and Ben teens left. And as the ship is starting to leave, we have this whole bit where Benteen kind of like snaps and starts talking to empty cave. Like, is there new business? No business, whatever. Like he's addressing a crowd of people that aren't there. And he goes over and he's like, Hey, Jojo, you want me to talk about those velveteen nights guys? And, uh, you know, all the, all the chocolate fountains at the golden corral that we had, like whatever he's like talking about stuff. I don't know what, but, um, which again, I was like, oh, that's dark. He's broken now and he's going to talk to nobody that's there. Um, then as the ship is launching, you hear the thrusters, the story he's telling, he realizes that is like, it's not so much a lie. It was real. And he freaks out and he's like, but I want to go home now. And he runs outside with tears in his eyes. He was like, I want to go. And the, as the, the ship is lifting off, there's a wonderful crane shot of just you see Benteen in the center of the screen and as the camera's pulling upward it's just him and I'm I'm gonna um you know I'm gonna quote Night Nails here it's just you know in his empire of dirt you know it's just him you know kingdom of dirt with nothing right he's king nothing that's where that's where he's at nobody's left it's just him they're never coming back he now regrets his decision minutes after it being made for him and that's the end of your episode and it, there is a very good shot of like of him with tears in his eyes, trying to, I, I don't know, guess like where he was supposed to be, in his control and like how everything played out. Yeah. It was, I don't know. It was kind of a, it was kind of a sad moment. I I guess that it was supposed to be somber in a sense, or it's like you're supposed to give this bit of understanding a lot more than what was given to you but i think he was just a dick like he was just a dick <laughs> yeah I, I like and that's that's what i guess i didn't in regards to when i was mentioning earlier where i said i feel like the script failed whitmore i'm talking about this last 10 minutes i feel like this is where it fails him because i i could be sympathetic with him until the chapter break until we get to like from act one to act two um, I can be sympathetic with the knowledge of that he has to now encounter the notion that he's no longer the most important guy. And that's, that's a character building bit, but then he just, just becomes this petulant child in the second half. And it's like, I can't have sympathy anymore. So then whenever he finally realizes I want to go home, it's like, no, you son of a bitch, you deserve this. And that's not where I feel like we should have landed with this character. I feel like that. 
again, this is me maybe disagreeing with the writing, and I know this is where Sterling was going to because his his outro narration, the ending was like, you know, um, you know, was William Bentine, population of one, like basically saying who who once thought he was a god, now it's just him. Like I get what he's saying. I do, I do. It just man, I feel like breaking him down and showing that his flock have left him. That to me is much more powerful as an idea than the final image, which is a very striking image. And I, I have trivia about this. We'll talk about it in a second. I, I love the visual imagery of him looking up to the heavens because he's now abandoned by choice. I love that visual. Just as a story beat, it pisses me off. The, the one thing that um, felt rushed about this sequence though is that when he's talking to this room uh that is completely empty it almost seems like that moment insa- a moment of insanity that somebody would go through if they're like moments later like yeah years down the line months down the line whatever those moments are it just like instantly he knows that no one's left yet and he just comes down the steps and he's like Ah, uh, Jojo, let me tell you about Earth. And the the spaceship hasn't even taken off yet. Yeah. It's like what what if they would have flipped that? What if they would have flipped him running out to be like, no, I want to go back, and then the ship leaves and he just pauses for a second and he's seen Wander back in the cave and he's like, Jojo, let me tell you about all the different flavors of Kit Kats they have now. Like, what if he would have broken mentally like there was that schism of like I screwed up and I now know the rest of my days, I'm going to be talking to ghosts. I think that would have been way more powerful. Definitely. That seems like the more uh, plausible moment than anything else. Like that seems to make more sense than how he was just like, I was just hiding from Sloan and now he just walked out of the cave and now I'm going to talk to Jojo who's not here now. Yeah. I don't know. Like, so um, you and I were talking before we started recording and, 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 and you, we, we knew that we're the, there's going to be some meat on these bones, which is good. Like that's a good thing. And this episode is actually going a little longer than usual, which whatever, that's what happens when like, when there's good conversation. Um, I think, I think this was a great episode. I think there was let me say your phrase. I think this this there was a lot of great potential in this episode, and there's a lot worthy of discussion. Um, some of the pacing and some of the um, character decisions in the second half drag it down for me. Um, however, I think this is one that is worthy that if people are going to talk about season four, like you don't you shouldn't skip it. I'm not saying it's in my top three. But you can't dismiss this episode. I think there's a lot there's a lot of good going on here, um, and I think Whitmore's performance is great. I do feel like they the script makes him flip flop um, out of character at times, and that's frustrating to me. But I will give credit to Serling um, that this this it it always when it came to a fork in the road, it picked the direction I wasn't expecting. I'm not saying I'm happy about that. It just, it left me wondering where it was going. So I guess that is a good thing uh, for an hour of television. Yeah. And to like watch something that you can't 
really uh, peg how it's going to play out. I, that's something worth looking at. I mean, I, I think that in some of these episodes, we can kind of we could really understand from the get go, especially in some scenarios from the 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 title depict how the rest of the episode is going to play out on this one. I really didn't see from the beginning how it was going to play out in the end. Yeah, so, I mean, like fair. this was a, this was like a little bit of a gem for me, especially in the second half of this season. Um, we've had some rough episodes and um, this really made me think this episode really made me uh, take a look at what's going on and like comparative like who the the characters were and how that really parallels to things that we've really seen in real life. That's fair. I think um I think this could have probably been a tighter like maybe not a 25 minute episode, not that like I think this could have been a tighter 40 minutes, you know, like uh I also feel like maybe this would have been a better episode of Star Trek from the perspective of the crew saving people and the one person that they're trying to deal with who's been like tending the flock for years. I think you shift the perspective of to the crew of the Galaxy Six trying to help. I think that would create a much more philosophical and interesting conversation, but that's not what we got. Um, I do like this episode, but I think it's one of those ones that the further I'll get away from it, the more I'll appreciate it. But I was just annoyed the second time I watched it because I feel like the whole... <laughs> The whole him talking about the, his dream of Earth to Jojo just left me cold and just stopped this episode. I love the meteor strike, uh, setting up the reality of like people were hanging themselves as opposed to being on this hellscape was interesting. Uh, Whitmore, what he he no matter no matter where the script sits him, he was good, and I wish we would have gotten more of him in the Twilight Zone because I feel like he's one of those guys that could have probably sold sold the hell out of a lot of things in the series. Um, like, is like, could you imagine if you were to flip flop maybe like Robert Duvall and Whitmore for this episode of Miniature? Like, I don't know. Like, I think they both would have been great in both of these things. You know, like, um, there's a lot here to like. It's just that there's times where I don't think the parts are enough to 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 justify the whole, and that's me. And I and, and people can disagree with me, and, and that's great. That's why I love the show because you everybody lands differently on things. This one just man, it just felt like it. You had a good ending, and then you had to tack on ten more minutes because that was the runtime. Yeah, I, I think that my um, my interest in this episode has to do a lot more with true crime stuff that happens nowadays, and like. You think about David Koresh and stuff like that. All the cult leader stuff. That's where I feel like I'm a little bit more interested in this episode. But if I if I didn't have that stuff, I don't know if I would have liked this episode that much more. I mean, I hear hindsight's twenty twenty, so it's like it's a good episode. But I I gained a lot more from it because of other things. So it's like, is it? A, is it good because it's good or is it good because I'm, I'm, I'm really gravitating sir, towards other discussions I could have about it. And that's fair. But I liked yeah. it. Yeah. That's completely valid. And I, and I understand where you're coming from with that. It's like, um, and, and, it, and I'm jealous in a way that like, that's resonating more with you and like, 
like causing those sparks to think about other things. Like, uh, I guess I am just a savage and a hack and I'm just like, I don't know. I need more space rocks. No, I'm, I'm kidding. That's not what actually happened, but um, no, it was good. And I just thought it was funny. Cause I didn't, I don't know if I, I didn't mention this during the cast and crew notes. There was an IMDB note for uh, James Whitmore. It said, or was it uh, Wikipedia? It said, well known for his role as Captain Benteen in the Twilight Zone. Uh, on Thursday, we leave for home, considered by many fans to be the best hour-long entry in the show's history. And I'm like, who are these fans? And I've never heard this statement before. Like, I'm not saying this is the best episode of the season four. I thought it was just a funny thing that was thrown out there. Like, it was the best. I'm like, did you watch He's Alive? You know, did you watch Manager? No, whatever. Anyway. This was good, and it was much. It was a much needed palate cleanser after last week. We can both agree on that, like a hundred ten percent. Oh, by by all means, yeah. I, I honestly like <laughs> this is like this is like one of those standalone episodes where it's like, even if it wasn't compared to those, it would shine greatly. But <laughs> when we compare it right to them, it's like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was no birthday cake with tanks on it, but whatever. It is what it is. So, yeah. Uh, did you have any other notes about the episode? I had like a little bit of trivia, and then we can get into the twist. And then, uh, you know, we could we could uh, take our 30-year voyage home now uh, once we get out of here. Uh, j- just a quick piggyback off of that one thing that you said about the people that were saying that this is one of the best of the hour-long formats. If you are listening right now, people, if you had any interest in our podcast, I would love you to uh, come at us with why you think this is any better than he's alive. Like just, I want to get into a a discussion or dare I say argument about why I'm challenging. I'm challenging Paul. I want somebody to come at me who thought that this was the best of the hour long format and why you thought this was better than the other episodes. Any one of the other episodes come at me, bro. Yeah. This one, or even like, like I said, Oh, we came out like, like really appreciative of miniature and also the new exhibit. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into our wrap up of season four in like two weeks. Sorry, three weeks. Um, because we have two to go, but yeah, I just, I just, it's like, did you watch season four? But anyway, so yeah, only, only bit of trivia I have about this is that the last shot, that big, crane shot at the end when you have um Whitmore by like you know like looking up at the heavens um they had that planned but then um uh Kulik and his um director of photography is like the night before they're going to shoot they're like can we even do this because they're on a sound stage and they got on a ladder and looked around and they realized all the shacks in the background didn't have roofs because it was a sound stage so they're like uh if we're going to do this, we got to put tops on like on the shacks. So they, they got a crew in that night to throw like shit over top of the boxes in the background to make it look lived in. So they can get that last shot because had they not looked and planned that shot, you would have clearly saw that the landscape landscape stopped at a certain point and no one cared because that shot wasn't planned. I thought that was funny. Um, so they're just like the night before they're like, Holy shit. We got to put like, like, uh, material up to look like these shacks have roofs that would have been a fun night to watch everybody scramble to throw like just canvas over shit and hope for the best i think that's funny um so that's my only trivia uh yeah so now that we have that um i guess we got to find some twists and rate them oh yo, i 
Oh, sorry, Terry. You're you're freaking out about twists or? Oh yeah, yeah. I had I had some trivia too. Oh, well, oh ta- I'll take back that twist. What's your trivia? Oh yeah, you had you had trivia about JoJo. Like, did he murder somebody later in life? Like, like I'm crossing my fingers. I'm hoping for like multiple homicides. No, that was um, <laughs> that was our uh, director's son. That was a. Uh, Buzz's son oh. uh, that played Jojo, Danny. Oh, God damn it. You're right. The name never triggered with me. That was. Uh, he changed his. He must have changed his name at some point because the spelling is completely different. So, but yeah, that was his son. Oh. Um, an, Another little note that I had to throw in there because I'm a little fanboy of this. Um, The cave uh, that the colonists were uh, always in, that was um the same background area from. Uh, where the Morlocks lived in the time machine. Oh, there you go. Perfect. And we already talked about the, the, the outfits um, that uh, galaxy six war were the same ones from uh death ship. So, yeah. All right. So I'm so sorry, Jojo, at least you had a cool dad that uh, directed some good episodes of the twilight zone and this one. Um, all right. So twists. I've already played the horns. Um, the twist that uh, Ben teen that the episode would pivot on him and his loss of power and identity. I did not see coming. I'll give that a four. Um, him pissing off everybody and staying on the planet. I'll give that a one. And, and then him being like, Oh, I want to go home. I'm going to give that a zero because it's like, screw you. You already made the decision to stay home. Yeah. That little twist of, uh, Benteen being part at least part of uh who was going to be left on a, pa- a planet i i would give that a zero like i think it would have been like just at desserts like that the leader is left on the planet but really um diving into the psyche of like who is the the leader and who is trying to keep them there and all the different elements that he's trying to to like get them to stay there I, I would go for a four on that one. Like I didn't think yeah. that he was going to be that psychopath, you know, that's fair. Yeah. So, um, again, credit this episode may not be, it may not be, um, like my favorite episode of the season. Uh, but it definitely, it went places I wasn't expecting, which is always, as long as there's payoffs that feel earned, which I feel like a lot of it, like, it did just because something went someplace I didn't expect it to go. doesn't mean that there wasn't quality there. And I think this episode has that. I think it's an important one to watch for the season. And I think this is an important one to put forward in regards to season four with people saying it wasn't that good. Um, like with everything you said, it makes you think there's a lot going on. There's good performances. I just, it may not have landed on on It may not have hit me as favorably as you, but I think it's definitely worth the conversation. And I've had a hell of a lot of fun talking about it with you tonight. I agreed. And uh, honestly, uh, when I finished the episode, I was like, this is definitely one that when we have a discussion, I think people are going to get a treat out of our discussion together. And really how we are deep diving something that we could have never expected, honestly. Right. So, all right, that's going to do it for uh, on Thursday. We leave for home. Um, so, uh, yeah, you guys can find us on our Facebook. It's the Strange Highways. Uh, there you can. Uh, you should like our page. And then every so often we post up a black and white photo from the episode previous, uh, and I, we make a snarky comment. 
I meant to show a picture of the birthday cake from the last episode. I can't find a good one, so I apologize for that. Uh, you guys can email us directly at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Music, um, Podbean, uh, Podcast Bucket, that's probably not a thing, uh, Podcatcher, wherever you do get your, your podcasts, Please rate and review us because if you like the show and give us like, you know, 7,000 stars out of 7,000, that will also show people things that, you know, they might want to check out the show. Not that we want to take over the world, but we love having more conversation and the more the merrier. So if you enjoy the show, recommend it. And also, again, we've talked about this previously. Once we are done with season four of the original series, which we have two episodes to go, we'll do a wrap up episode after that. Um, we're still discussing what we're doing about the week after that. Uh, we have some ideas. We'll see if that's available for streaming. I'm just teasing that. We will then be jumping feet first into season two of the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone. So if you guys want to watch something more modern, we're going to be running through all 10 of those episodes as well. So that's very exciting. Yeah, I can't wait for that. And honestly, um, everything that's going on right now, um, you gotta you got to get – a little bit more interested in podcasts, people. Uh, if your friends are looking for something to fill their time and that, uh, suggest our podcast. Suggest uh, you know podcasts in general. Um, there's a lot of good podcasts out there. Uh, Invasion of the podcast. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, Sometimes you know, we're lo- yeah we're, we're looking for <laughs> we're mean, looking for people to get uh, involved, included, uh, uh, get provoked. Uh, like I was uh, just suggesting a moment ago, uh, argue with us about what you think your favorite episode is from season four. Come at us. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So if you're like, listen, mute is my favorite episode of season four. I'll be like, you're entitled to your opinion, but we can never be friends. That's where we're going to come up with that. No. So yeah, that's going to do it for this week. Next week, uh, the episode's called Passage on the Lady Anne. <clears throat> and here's the description. Next on Twilight Zone, an exercise from the typewriter of Charles Beaumont. A sea voyage into the darker regions of the zone. Our stars in alphabetic order are Gladys Cooper, Wilford Hyde-White, Cecil Kellaway, Lee Phillips, and Joyce Van Patten. All names that we know, and I'm glad that that description describes the episode. And also, I'm going to throw out there, from what we know about the, the sad last days of Charles Beaumont, this is probably not from his time writer. It's his typewriter, time writer, typewriter. I'm sure we'll dig him more to that later. So yeah, um, that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, passages on the lady Anne. hope you guys have a good week. Uh, be safe. Um, stay out of the sun. Cause it's the son of a bitch. And, uh, I don't know. Um, I don't just, I got nothing. It's just, just, if you're living, if you're living in Mansfield, I'm sorry, but I'm not that sorry. Uh, and, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, stay off the ships. I don't know. How's the water, George? Hot, flat, and unforgettable. But wet? Well, bear with it, folks. Bear with it. Six months' time, we'll all be drinking chocolate ice cream sodas.